Okay, here we are, the day after what seemed to be the longest day of my life. Hey, it's Mike. Angel will be here in just a few minutes. I'm kicking things off. Well, finally, uh, at uh, 1.50 this morning, this morning, so just a few hours ago, at 1.50 this morning, they finally had a vote and agreed on the rules for the trial in the Senate And it was not like the Clinton administration impeachment. It was not like the 100 to 0 vote to get the rules passed in that situation. No, this was right down party lines, 53 to 47, with Mitch McConnell leading his group to uh, finally pass it. After a marathon session, endless amendments opposed. Yeah, that's a Freudian slip. Proposed by Chuck Schumer. Schumer is just a pain, isn't he? Schumer is a special kind of a guy. And I'm going to get into the impeachment thing in depth. I will dive into it. But I have to give you a little bit of Schumer just to make sure you're as irritated as I am because I'm working on about three hours sleep. We hear a lot of arguments from the president's counsel. None of them directly address why there shouldn't be witnesses and documents. They talk about how bad the House is. I don't agree with that at all. But they don't argue one. They don't make a single argument why there shouldn't be witnesses and documents. That speaks volumes. Well, you're wrong, Chuckles. And uh, I will explain why he's wrong. But it's simply put that that's not the role. The House was supposed to make its case, impeach the president, and then present the results, and then the Senate holds a trial about that. But it got to be crazy yesterday. It got to be completely nutty yesterday. And uh, Chief Justice John Roberts even admonished them and said it's time to stop the pettifogging. Pettifogging. A word from about 100 or more years ago. Am I saying that correctly, pronunciation lady? Pettifogging. Now, once more. Pettifogging. Yes, pettifogging is the word. Uh, Pettifogging people give too much attention to small and unimportant details in a way that shows a limited mind. That's the definition of pettifogging. Pettifogging. Rules or details too small, not important enough to give your attention to. So pettifogging is today's impeachment word of the day use it three times today and it's yours for life pettifogging yes pettifogging i will be saying it several times today pointing out the pettifogging uh, mostly of adam schiff and charles schumer i wonder if his middle name is is you like ulysses charles ulysses schumer then i could call him chuck U. schumer i would like to do that is that wrong of me so many other stories to get to today. We have to talk about the the raining iguanas in Florida. Yes, it's raining iguanas. We have to give props, by the way, to Delta Airlines. No, I didn't fly Delta. I don't get a free ticket on Delta or anything. I just have to give big props to Delta Airlines. The American company had such a great year in this uh, Trump administration, this Trump economy, uh, Delta Airlines, incredible year, huge profits, and they didn't 
do what so many on the left accuse big profitable companies of doing. They didn't just hand the money to their executives. No. If you work for Delta, you got a bonus. And a, a pretty darn good bonus. It works out to about two months' salary to the average employee. Wouldn't you like two months' salary? So good for you, Delta. Good for you for putting that money back in the hands of the people who made you profitable. And uh, good for you for pointing out that the Trump administration really is doing great things to keep our economy humming. The president, still in Davos, Switzerland, I thought he was coming back from that uh, World Economic Summit. He was reportedly coming back, but he stayed. And he's been up early in Davos. He's already tweeted more than 40 times before the sun came up here. And mostly congratulating the GOP for handling themselves well and his legal team for handling themselves well during the uh, first day of the impeachment trial. Today, the uh, senators will have to be back after a, a brief nap, and they have to actually hear opening arguments. There are opening arguments and closing statements. Today, you will get opening arguments, and I think we're done with all the, uh, the petty-fogging uh, stoppage of all the stuff. It just dragged on and on and on. You know what? I'm going to put politics on pause. Come back. We'll do more at the bottom of the hour. Next, Angie and I will get into some fun. Welcome back to the Angie Austin, Michael Pelka show. And Angie, has your home been declared flu free? Is everybody back on deck? Is everything calm again? Cause we missed you. Oh, um, yeah, yes. I, uh, <laughs> Just catch me off guard sometimes. I, um, everyone's not... had the flu shot, but my husband, because, you know, he's so macho, he doesn't need that. But we see people are dying around the country. I get it, too, because, you know, my mom's older and I don't want her to get sick. And then she gets the pneumonia shots and blah, blah, blah. OK, so my my son tried to be all cool like my husband, like, well, I don't need it. I'm a strong kid, blah, blah, blah. I go, yeah, and you're under 18. Sorry, we're going in because he missed his appointment for sports. <laughs> and so I took him in later. And uh, then there's that question, and we can talk about this later, but there's that HPV vaccine now. Yeah, yeah. Do you know about that? The human pampilova virus, it's been going on since 2007 or eight. Wow. It's been out there and a big, yeah. big controversy. We should talk to Royzen about that. Uh, that's a good, a good topic. But I wanted to talk to you about uh, a high school in Indiana that's doing something that I, I wholeheartedly endorse this high school in Indiana before class every day a teacher grabs a large clear plastic bag fastens it to her waist with a ribbon and then takes the cell phones from the students she doesn't have a fanny pack she calls it a phony pack oh that's hilarious well they've taken the phones out of the hands of the students in the classroom and, you know, I was hoping that this report from the Wall Street Journal would say, and students have noticed an improved concentration effort. They are getting better grades. They're paying attention to the teachers. Only there's a small problem in the school, Ange. What? Well, these lockable phone pouches let the students hold phones in the classroom so they, they can... Let them have their phones on their body. They just can't open it 
during the class or the schools will take it. Kind of like what they're doing during the impeachment trial in the Senate. All the senators have to put their phones in the cloakroom. But the students, like at the Bronx uh, Academy, it's a charter school in New York. They've been doing this for two years. The students are experiencing separation anxiety. Oh, my gosh. Are you serious? The teachers are saying they are fiending, fiending, you know, like a drug addict. They're freaking out. And uh, one eighth grader told a a study person asking it said uh, it didn't work. It didn't work. And we even tried to pry open the pouches with pens and scissors. So the schools have had to hire counselors to come in and deal with these kids and their separation anxiety. And it's going all across the country where schools are trying this. But I maintain that we have to get through this. We have to get the kids focused back on the classroom and not on being able to text mommy because the teacher's mean to them. I'm not pointing any fingers. Yeah. Okay. So we took the phone away from my daughter. It's in the safe uh, from my uh, seventh grader because she needs to focus. She has focus issues. And so we just, she doesn't get to bring it to school. She's been fine. And generally what they do is use a friend's phone. Now my sixth grader is one, pardon me, fifth grader. She's still in elementary school is one of the only kids in her class without a phone. So she always, I'm, I get these random texts from other little kids' phones saying, you know, mom, I have after school sports, mom, I have this, I have that, or mom, can I blah, blah, blah. And so she uses her friend's phones. And that's what Arlene Pellicane says that her kids do. And there's an office phone in the school office for my kid to, my kids to use too. Wait a minute. Wait but, a minute. They still what? have a phone in the office like they did when I, I went to school in the dark yes. ages? Yes, but they took it out of the rec center because my kids used to call me from the rec center phone, like, you know, the town rec center. But they took that out. You have to go to the front desk now. There used to be like a phone and you just pick it up and use it. But they got rid of that. And then um, with the office, yes, they go to the phone. Yeah, because they still have to have landlines at schools. You call in, uh, you know, for the attendance line and you call the main office and they're not answering a cell phone. They're all landlines. Yeah, I know. I was I was kind of mocking. Oh, okay. I didn't I didn't get your mockery. I thought you're serious because a lot of people are shocked that I have a landline like what? But I have it for my mother who it takes five or six calls to even get my mom to answer the phone. She didn't hear it. She didn't charge the phone. She can't find the phones. Uh, You know, she didn't she doesn't have her cell phone on her. Like when we were on vacation, I must have called 10 times. So we got those cameras installed in the house. So when there's motion, we can pick her up. So then we, sh- we knew she was alive since it's so difficult to reach her <laughs> via phone, even with, I think we have five, five landline phones around the house and then her cell phone, but it's ridiculous. Okay, so my kid uh, in seventh grade, no phone. Six uh, f- elementary school, no phone. Uh, and then my son does have a phone, and that's kind of how I keep in uh, touch with my middle schoolers. It's all so confusing. But to make a long story short, Uh, We don't have him bring it to class. He leaves it in his locker. And here's what I saw on this documentary. It's Netflix and it's Last Chance You. Have you seen that? It's uh, football players who got oftentimes kicked out of like a Division I school for behavioral problems, bad grades, uh, maybe problems with the law. And then they go to this uh, this, uh, junior college. Okay, here's what I saw when I watched the documentary. 
they're on their stinking phones in class and it's so disrespectful. They'll show the teacher like giving them specific information about life or whatever. And then at the end, he said, and those of you on your phones, maybe you'll be the ones that won't you know, graduate from junior college. Are you stinking kidding me? Like you're there because your grades are so bad and you're going to sit on your phone during class. And it's so disrespectful. And I think this is the problem. We are allowing, we are encouraging ADD behavior. You know, we're mm -hmm. encouraging kids to be distracted. If you take away the distractions, they will learn better. Now, there is, in the study that I was quoting here that's in the Wall Street Journal, there is a claim that one school, which is a charter school in New York, says uh, they collected the phones and it became unwieldy once they grew to 300 students. So they now use something called the Harry Potter-like system that allows students to earn points that give them access to being able to like hold on to their phone rather than having them lock it up in the pouch. And okay, how confusing is that to keep track of that for 30 kids in each class? Seven classes, seven times three, 21, 210 students, and you got to keep track of some Harry Potter points to see when they get their phone? Are you freaking kidding me? Pardon me. No. I can barely do that with my three kids, no. let alone over 200. See, I don't think this is a problem. My nieces and oh. nephews went to school, and they had pride points at the school. Yeah, and, we have that. Okay, so why can't that be the same thing? The, the yeah, but you don't always hang get, on like, here. You're cutting me. Let in, in to sound like a sports talk show. Let me finish. Um, the the principal says we're teaching kids responsibility in the real world. No one confiscates your phone. You might use a lot, but you have to learn how to manage that use. So they're teaching them behavior. Good behavior allows you to have access and the right to manage that. And I think this may be the compromise. I don't know. I just think that with the pride dollars, you can do the same thing two days in a row and you might not get noticed, you know. So it's very hit or miss and favorites get more pride points and blah, blah, blah. I guess kind of like life. I, I, I don't know. I, I, just, I, I just think there needs to be a no, no phones in cl the classroom. Done. There you go. They, I, I'm glad you're finally seeing the light on this. This is a no, breakthrough. No, they should not be in the classroom. And I'm telling you, my little uh, fifth grader, who is actually the most responsible child in my family, and she even said to me yesterday, mind you, if I'm the most responsible child in the family, why don't I have a phone? I mean, it's like it's like a rite of passage now. And these kids are stinking coming to school with like iPhone 11s, like new phones. And I said to my daughter, I said, you mean the one with the three cameras that came out within the last year? She said, yeah. Why is like a 10-year-old kid walking around with an iPhone 11? I think that's child abuse. Really? That kind of entitlement? It's ridiculous. It's like when you buy the new Porsche for your kid when he turns 16 or whatever. What, are you trying to raise a jerk? Are you purposefully trying to, to raise someone that no one wants to be around because they're so jerky? I want to apologize to all Porsche owners. Angie Austin is not besmirching or degrading you. Uh, if you happen to own a Porsche, that's a good thing. If you've been successful enough, we just don't, yes. we just don't want you to give them to your kids without the kid earning it. That's kind of what we're saying. Uh, I had a, a 911 Cabriolet. Of the course Carrera. you did. With the whale tail on the back? Uh, no, I didn't have a whale tail. No whale tail. It was red. It was nice. So, yeah, when I was in uh, Los Angeles working in the news business in my 20s. Uh, yep, yeah. It was just. That's kind of like a Volkswagen in the news business in, in L.A. You're driving up and down the PCH with the top down and the blonde locks flowing in the wind. 
Yeah, it was a, it was fun. But you know, now I, you know, my husband made me get rid of it because he said it we couldn't get baby seats in it. Oh, they make Porsche baby seats. They're very expensive. They re- they're like fifteen hundred dollars each, and you can only get two. And you know, then you have nowhere to put that Birkin bag that you're carrying in your Porsche. I don't carry expensive purses, and now I just drive a used SUV. I'm just a, I'm just an um, an old soccer mom now. You know, I still have the blonde locks, but no convertible. You're momming around, as my friend says all the time. I said, "What are you doing today? Momming around." <laughs> oh my gosh, I do that every day. I love that term. I'm stealing that. Yes, you can thank. Uh, you thank my friend Sarit who came up with that. Momming well, around. You'll be momming around, uh, checking on the cell phone usage of the little ones in your care and feeding. Well, <laughs> and uh, my, my, my nephew calls it adulting. You know, the millennials call it adulting. Yeah. So now I've got momming. So perfect. There you go. Welcome back to the Angie and Mike show. Mike here. Angie will be back in just a few minutes. She's getting our friend Cheryl Lentz on the horn. We're going to talk to Dr. Lentz about some things. And uh, I want to get back to the politics. And mostly I want to get back to my finger wagging at both sides of the aisle. But I'm going to wag extra hard at the Democrats and Chuck Schumer. Yesterday, more than 12 hours of time, more than 12 hours of time, which could have been spent doing a lot of other things by me and by the 100 senators and the House impeachment managers and the president's attorneys, more than too much time was spent yesterday. And now I'm kind of bummed out because I realize today we are going, as Shakespeare would say, once again unto the breach. I think that was from Henry V. I'm not 100% certain if I remember my high school Shakespeare classes. But uh, once again, unto the breach, gentlemen and ladies, as uh, the Senate will reconvene today. And we will start the trial now that we have all the ground rules down and we have McConnell's proposal down. Virtually everything went along party lines yesterday as Chuck Schumer basically was in a test of wills with Mitch McConnell. Schumer kept making these proposals to amend the rules. And every time he would say, I, Mr. Speaker, I would like to, or Mr. President, they don't say Mr. Speaker, Mr. President, I would like to propose an amendment. And then they would make the poor clerk read the amendment. I contend that none of this, or at least about a tenth of it, would have gone on had Schumer been forced to stand there and read his own stupid amendment aloud. It it really was tedious. It went on and on and on. After five amendments, I was ready to stab myself with a fork uh, because we all knew what was going to happen. Mitch McConnell said what was going to happen before Schumer even started this charade. McConnell said, we're going to move to table all of your proposed amendments and we pretty much know we have the votes. And virtually every one of these proposed amendments got tabled with a party line vote except one vote from Susan Collins of Maine where she said she was open to hearing uh, more questions from senators. But everything else was 53 to 47. We could have saved everybody a lot of time. And I sincerely wonder how much money all of the cable news channels lost in commercial time. 
because the majority of the time was spent not cutting away. It eventually got tedious, and so late in the day they cut away because that's big commercial dollars. So the Senate's not only stalling our lives, those of us in the political media life who have to watch all this nonsense, they're hurting business. This is government, once again, hurting business. It's just silliness. And some of it is is downright frustrating. Uh, I I remember uh, thinking, yay, bravo, when Supreme Court Justice Roberts admonished both sides. Here's what he said. I think it is appropriate at this point for me to admonish uh, both the House managers and the president's counsel in equal terms uh, to remember that they are addressing the world's greatest deliberative body. One reason it has earned that title is because its members avoid speaking in a manner and using language that is not conducive to civil discourse. Yeah, that's what went on yesterday. We heard a whole ton of that. Most of it, I think, came from the left. But um, Mr. Cipollone, the president's attorney, was pretty clear in his uh, statements at the beginning. It's long past time that we start this so we can end this ridiculous charade and go have an election. Yeah, that's true. This is happening in the middle of an election year. And it really is an effort, I believe, to alter the next election and overturn the previous one. But I want to get back to Justice Roberts because he did. He did cause a whole lot of searches on the Internet yesterday for the word pettifogging when he was chastising both sides. Um, In the 1905 Swain trial, a senator objected when one of the managers used the word pettifogging. Good word. And the presiding officer said the word ought not to have been used. I don't think we need to aspire to that highest standard, but I do think those addressing the Senate should remember where they are. Yeah, remember where you are, people. Maybe they're uncomfortable because their cell phones were taken away. Maybe they're uncomfortable because they actually have to work all day. They can only drink milk and water at their desks, which I think is hilarious. And apparently that happened because uh, late Senator from Illinois, Everett Dirksen, wanted a tall glass of milk during one of these events, one of these trials in the past. And so uh, they're only allowed to have milk or water and their notepads. Some of them, some of the senators reportedly had uh, eye watches, the Apple, Apple watch, not eye watch, the Apple watch on their wrists. And there was concern that they were using it inappropriately because they are not allowed to have their cell phones in the, the trial. Just as people are not allowed to have uh, eye watches, Apple watches on their wrists during Supreme Court proceedings. So I wonder if there'll be an additional stipulation made today to prevent the Apple Watches from being worn and used. It it was fascinating stuff to me. I got to give you a little bit more of the back and forth that went on. And then I have an update on what the president's doing in Davos, Switzerland. As I said, the, the main players here were Cipollone and Adam Schiff. Cipollone and Schiff went back and forth Pretty much uh, during the entire time, uh, this is uh, the two of them going back and forth. If the Senate allows the president to get away with such extensive obstruction, 
it will affect the Senate's power of subpoena and oversight just as much as the House. What does Mr. Schiff mean by obstructing? He means that unless you do exactly what he says, regardless of your constitutional rights, then you're obstructing. The President of the United States declassified that telephone call and released it to the public. How's that for transparency? You don't get credit for transparency when you get caught. Uh, back and forth. That's the fun stuff for me. They did not do it quite like that. They each made a statement, then responded to the statement. I wish we could have the back and forth. It certainly would move things along a lot faster. I also think that if if they really wanted this to be expedited, and I don't think the Republicans do, I think they're torturing the Democrats a little bit by extending this as long as possible because it hurts Bernie and uh, Klobuchar and anybody else who's hoping to campaign in Iowa ahead of the caucuses. Uh, But uh, if they made them do the whole thing without the desks and chairs, if everybody had to stand up, if everyone was forced to stand, there'd be a lot less bloviating. All right, on to the president who was in Davos, Switzerland at this big economic summit. And he was pulled aside by CNBC and asked about uh, three candidates, Bernie, Biden and Bloomberg. What does he think? Who would he like to face off? All very different. Yeah, Minnie Mike is spending a lot of money. It's got no chance. Uh, but he's got a tremendous, uh, you know, he used to be a friend of mine until I ran for politics. And then... Uh, he went a little off. You should see some of the nice things he said about me before I ran, or like the nicest. But he had to deal with Hillary Clinton that he was going to become Secretary of State. It was very simple. People know that. And it wasn't going to happen. It was going to go to Terry McAuliffe. I mean, so they were playing with Michael. And uh, it's too bad. But he's spending a fortune. He's making a lot of broadcasters wealthy. And he's getting nowhere. His ratings are terrible. His, uh, you look at his numbers. Uh, I don't know if Joe's going to limp across the line, but you, I watch him. I watch him speaking. He can't put together a sentence, but it could be him and it could be Crazy Bernie. I don't know who it's going to be. Whoever it is, I'm ready. I think he is ready. And I love the nicknames. It reminds me of the 2016 campaign. All right, I'm stepping aside. We'll do more politics down the road, but right now we have to talk to our buddy, Cheryl Lentz. Angie's back, and we'll hang out with Dr. C next. <laughs> Angie Austin and Michael Pelka show joined by the academic entrepreneur, let's see, professor, author, speaker, Dr. Cheryl Lentz. And uh, we're going to talk about something right up Mike's alley. No, we're not. We're not. We're not talking about something up my alley. I'm not arguing with you. Why would you say I'm arguing with you? The topic is the perfect (laughs) argument, Mike. Well, that's uh, it should say by Michael Pelka, right? (laughs) Welcome, Cheryl. (laughs) Good. Hello, everyone. It is really nice to see you in there. And when I saw this come out, as you all know, I am a big fan of Seth Godin's work. And this to me did really scream Michael Pelka. But you know what? You didn't write it, Mike. He did. I wonder why. That's okay. I I will read it and take lessons from it. Uh, I, I do enjoy a good argument, especially one that's fair. But I need to learn about the perfect argument. 
Well, the challenge here is learning exactly that. I have a challenge to teaching my students, particularly those in the online environment, how to disagree without being disagreeable and how to have the proper respect because an intellectual discourse, which is, I guess, the positive way of saying this, can be really enlightening when you're looking at how to look at multiple points of view. And I had a history uh, teacher in high school, which I use his technique all the time, is he would ask us to support our point of view and raise our hand who is for gun control who's against it who's this who's for this who's for gun? and the, whatever we said we were for or against we had to defend the opposite and that skill is something i still look for my students because they don't always have good research or even know why they support or not support a specific thing so in order to have the perfect argument is you have to be able to look at why you're outraged, why you're having this, you know, what's the research as opposed to just going, you know, half cocked or all cocked as a, uh, on your soapbox. And the point is, is what the point is. And that was Seth Godin's, right? And I love it. The purpose of the perfect argument is to make sure we don't actually get anything done. It's perfect because it never ends. It's a trap for our focus and energy. So the point of an argument, in my opinion, is what's the goal? What's the end goal? Are you persuading or are you just wanting to be a billow of hot air to show that harumph, 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 right, Mike? This is what you like to do is just to, to argue for the sake of arguing as opposed to for the purpose of the sake of arguing. What say you all? I don't think Mike argues just for the purpose of arguing. I think he thinks he's right. But my husband, I think, does enjoy like it's almost like sales because he loves sales. Like he'll go into Best Buy sometimes just for fun to see if he can talk the price down on a TV. But we don't need one. Like we're not buying it. He just thinks it's fun. <laughs> he's sharpening the saw, as it were. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't, that to me is like putting, um, you know, needles under my fingernails. Like I, the idea of like bickering with someone over the price of something just for fun, like that's not fun. Or somebody will call the house and he'll like, um, try to get them to sell him something that, he, you know, let's say they're trying to sell win new windows or whatever. Or they come to the front door and he'll actually get them to like do the pitch and then he'll correct them and say that I would do it this way. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're like, it's, it, you're, it's an illness. This is an illness with you. So if I say, something and I don't even bring up politics because we're on a different you know page there but if I bring something up sometimes I feel like he picks if I say it's black he says it's white I feel like he does it because he thinks it's fun to debate me and then I just brush him off like you know okay good for you for trying but I'm not you know I'm not going for the carrot that you're dangling from my face like I don't need to win an argument I couldn't care less so he's like he married the wrong person to argue with like I, I never argue with him because I couldn't care less so wow. you married a contrarian, huh, Mike? <laughs> uh, Angie may have. Uh, the The answer here, though, this this relationship, Angie, it sounds like a masochist married a sadist. You know? and <laughs> Boy, is there a punchline for a joke there, right? Because you, we're best friends. That's it's fine. The craziest thing. But but that's great because opposites do attract. But can you imagine the masochist and the sadist hit me, and the and the sadist goes, no. <laughs> it's just a big but here's the deal the argument thing for me uh if i see someone who's obviously misguided or misinformed sometimes it's fun to bring them around the corner of reality and watch <laughs> and watch their realization and sometimes and i will tell you this happens maybe more than sometimes 
I am educated by trying to defend my own beliefs. And someone will go, hold on a second here. Did you know? And I, I, was the, I was this way about foreign aid. I thought we give entirely too much money to countries around the world. And somebody goes, well, you know, we give $4 billion a year to Israel. And I said, well, we shouldn't be doing that. And they said, well, did you know it's a jobs program that they buy all their military stuff from us so it creates jobs in America? So by helping them be self-sufficient and buy their own military stuff, planes and cannons and all that stuff, it gives jobs, good-paying jobs in America. And I went, oh, I didn't know that. And they huh. said, yeah, and if Israel develops a weapon or a medicine because we helped fund it, we are 50-50 owners in the patent on that. So there are things we can learn by having arguments. Now, I think Twitter exists pretty much just to waste time and have people yelling at each other. I don't think anyone's ever changed their mind on Twitter. I find that interesting, but look at the difference, and this is the point that Angie was making that is a credit to you, Mike, is when you are looking at an argument, you will actually listen with both ears and not anger, and the fact of you might learn something, and my goodness, maybe you were incomplete or ill-informed or you just didn't know, and that's the point of potentially having a conversation, let alone a debate, but those who get on their soapbox who simply want to... Um, put air out into the universe and have nothing concrete say or a value to offer, that's the part of, you know, the blowholes that we call them as the <laughs> just move along, nothing to see here kind of thing. You know, um, I, I think I think Mike's pretty fair. I mean, we've argued a few times and it wasn't pretty, but I think he's pretty fair when he's presenting his point. And I see him argue via social media sometimes. And I wouldn't, I don't even know if I'd say argue, I would say presenting his point. And uh, he does make the effort to really engage with people, and he puts in a lot more effort than I do or I would because I think I'm conflict-resistant, and I don't know exactly where that comes from, probably from you know living in a household as a kid where there was violence and domestic violence against my mother, and so there, it was loud, and so um, and dysfunction with my brothers and drugs, so I didn't like it being loud, and so I don't like um, arguments that are loud, but I would say his are more discussions in general. And then I do admire that he really does engage people and present his point. And if someone gets nasty with him on social media, he does respond with, you know, um, generally kindness and does try to present his point. And a lot of these people are his friends who believe different politically. And that's part of the reason I don't put any politics on my page because I'm a mom and I just want to raise my kids right now. And I can do my politics with Mike on the radio if I want. But this is really his life. He does read up on this stuff, watch all the news, watch you know everything that happens uh, politically, uh, live if he can. And so he gets into it, don't you, Mike? Yeah, I'm just a nerd. Let's just face it. <laughs> that, but you're well informed and the whole idea is don't argue with a one-armed man. Don't argue with someone who only knows part of the argument because it's terribly embarrassing. And this is where I have to really drop the hammer on lots of my doctoral students is don't go to an academic conference in astronomy and still talk about nine planets. You'll be booed off the stage because you're not well informed. You have to be current in your field if you want to stand up and take a position. If not, your ignorance and the will be demonstrated very clearly and very quickly. Yeah, and it can be very embarrassing. And sometimes you will never recover reputation-wise for making a dumb statement. And uh, I, none of us wants to be seen a fool. You know, that's, that's at the end of my interest in gaining knowledge on something. 
And uh, Jim Stovall, uh, one of our contributors who writes a great column, Inspiring Every Week, uh, we talked about Churchill with him a few weeks ago. And Churchill talked about the bravery to stand up and speak. But he also said the braver man is the man who is willing to sit and listen. And I think that in itself is a key point in all of this discussion of how you form an argument and how you prepare yourself to present your points. And I think that was my point of my high school lit teacher was the ability to know what we thought we stood for and then to go research it to see if we still thought the opposite. Because debate is not your side. Debate is knowing all sides. And that's what many people forget is you have to know as much about the opposite side as your own to be comfortable in the art of debate and comfortable in your facts and to have the ability to rebut it. If it's ignorance, you are really going to be taken off stage quickly. So listening, unless you really know your stuff as the expert, may be the better part of valor here. Hmm. All right. Well, you know, I, I think different personalities enjoy this, but I think it can be done in a civil manner. And there are times when you have to stand your ground when it's something important, which I've done with the, you know, the kids a few times. Um, uh, you know, on issues where I think I understand, you know, young girls better than he does. And uh, yeah, so I, I will, I will, he knows though, when I jump in there and I'm ready to fight the good fight that, uh, that I mean business. So I think because I do argue so infrequently when I do, uh, he knows I'm serious and he's likely to go in my direction. But that is also a really good point to arguing and to Mike's point is we don't want to simply argue for the sake of arguing with everyone because the boy who cries wolf doesn't get body experience. <laughs> the boy who argues wolf. All right, exactly. Cheryl, we're, we're about so, out of time. Give us your right. website. DrSherylens.com. 